Welcome back. You're listening to FCR, Film Critic Radio. It's me again, your weekend wonderkind, Johnny Fresh, or Johnny Smooth if you prefer, here to bring you the good word about what's coming to a multiplex near you. How's about we bring in another caller? Looks like someone's got a question about a movie. Hello? Hello. 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 Hi. Welcome to FCR, Film Critic Radio. Uh, who? Your favorite neighborhood movie review radio show. That's who. What's your name, fellow cinema lover, and what movie would you like me to review for you? Uh, well, my name's Will. First time caller, first time listener. But I don't understand why I'm on the radio right now. No one listens to radio anymore. Also, you called me. Hmm, sounds like a long title. Not sure how they're going to fit that one on the marquee. Let's gauge your movie tastes, shall we, Will? Who would you like to see in an action comedy? Eddie Murphy or Carl Weathers? Hmm. Sorry, I don't know who they are. I watch every movie on Netflix. Netflix? Never heard of it. Not much of a fisherman myself. Well, you're missing out, weird radio postperson. With Netflix, I get to watch bad, underdeveloped, over-budget movies practically every week. And I never even know that they're coming out until the day I decide to watch them. It's perfect. Hold on, you don't consult your local film critic or two before watching a movie on this flicks-capturing device? Nope, no need. I don't spend money on movie tickets anymore. I just sit at home and watch bad movies until I fall asleep or muster up the courage to mute the TV so I can go into the kitchen and tell my wife, you know what, honey? I'm tired of the running around, the silent non-glances, the whole rigmarole that's been our relationship since baby three. Why don't we plop ourselves onto the couch, pop some bland, lightly salted hipster microwave popcorn, and see what Adam Sandler and his C-list buddies pick at his vacation spot for a movie this week. <laughs> that's beautiful, Will. This Netflix fad of yours, it sure does sound promising. Where in the phone book can people find it? I'm guessing the circulars at the grocery have all the Netflix information you could possibly need. Phone book? No, no, radio person who's apparently trapped in the 1980s. You're thinking of Facebook, and they have shows on there too, like... Well, I suppose that's all the time we have this week for FCR, Film Critic Radio. Will, if people want to be able to find you out in the real world, maybe follow you around, like, down the sidewalk and into, well, Blockbuster, how can they do that? Oh, uh, no, 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 please don't follow me. Too late. Look behind you. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Groney, chief editor of Cinemaholics, film critic for Awards Watch, and maybe one day I will be a space oddity. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and wouldn't you know it, he also likes to turn invisible. It's Will Ashton. Hello. 
Will, we've got we got such an episode this week. Uh, Some of the biggest films of 2021. Yeah. I, you seemed so excited when I told you yeah. we we're watching this week. With, with are you okay, Will? Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled, John. I'm excited. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. It sounds like you can't wait to get to the big films. Yeah. yeah. I'm chomping at the bit, John. Just chomping at the bit. Yeah, we've got some A pluses to get to, but first you can yeah. find more episodes of our show, including our full archive on cinemahawks.com. Also have written reviews on there, other bonus content. Uh, also our merch page, of course. Definitely check that out if you want to get yourself a Cinemaholics shirt, hoodie, mug, shot glass. You know how it is. And we have a Patreon as well, patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Thank you to all of our patrons who help, help keep this show going. We love you guys. So yeah. always love the support. Yeah. And if you can kelp us too, that, that'd be appreciated as kelp. well. Kelp. Yeah. Yes. If you just want to SpongeBob us, you know, yeah. just do that. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Keep the emails coming. You know, our email is cinemahawkspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, say hello. We, we love hearing from you all. We got such a lovely email this past week, Will. You know, oh, yeah. made my week. It was so Me nice. Too. Can we read that? Are we allowed to read that? I don't have it on hand, but uh. paraphrasing, uh, I remember the, the listener's name was Brent. Mm-hmm. And just basically just being supportive, just, you know, telling us yeah. what we do right, what we don't do right, but in a nice way, that kind of thing. Yeah. We should also uh, shout out Jameson, who let us know, I guess, our yeah. Google thing wasn't uh, up to date. So we apologize if anyone else was uh, not getting our episodes as uh, yeah. dutifully as possible because of that. There was this whole thing where our show hasn't been showing up on Google Podcasts. So thank you, Jameson, who was like, hey, you know, I love listening to Cinema Hall. He didn't actually say this word for word. I'm, you know, making stuff up. But basically, it was like, I want to, li- mm-hmm. yeah, I want to listen. I want, I, you know, I want Cinema Hawks content. And I'm pretty sure you you two have talked about movies since Moxie came out. So <laughs> I think that was like the last one that yeah. he saw on his feed. But that's all fixed now, thanks to that listener and the lovely people at Texport. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I mentioned before, lots to get to in the show. Only off topic we have for you all this week is a kind of sad news story that we wanted to weigh in a little bit here. And that is the news that DMX, the rapper and uh, often movie star, uh, who's also known as Earl Simmons, passed away. Uh, DMX, uh, Darkman X, kind of a staple of like my childhood, kind of weirdly. Like in the 90s, DMX was like, the, that was the music that I listened to without my mom knowing. Sure. And so it's kind of kind of wild. He he passed away. He's had a lot of complications with drugs over the years. And then he had a heart attack and he was on life support. So this was kind of like a slow motion thing. We, we kind right. of unfortunately saw it, you know, es- escalating to a place where, of course, uh, this past week was when he he didn't make it. And so it's a, it's, it's a huge loss. And I know he was, he was only 50 years old. Well, I know you're a fan of DMX. Yeah. How, yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how are you feeling about it? I mean, yeah. I mean, for all the reasons you suggested, it's definitely been a sad week. And you, as you were saying, like it, the fact that not only they passed away so young, but it got drawn out over the course of a week and it was just kind of waiting right. until the inevitable was happening. That just made it even tougher. And, and seeing, especially on social media, like not only how full of life he was, but just like how much he touched people and inspired them. And even just in brief interactions was able to like brighten people's days and lives. It was just, yeah, it was just a really sad day. And uh, it's definitely a, a big loss for sure. Yeah. You know, he, I, I actually have never seen anything that he's been in film wise. In fact, until you brought it up, Will, I was kind of unfamiliar that he had like a, a lot of film credits, you know, mm-hmm. he's been in a lot of movies. I didn't, yeah. I've, 
I knew he actually was in Romeo Must Die, but I mean, that was so long ago. I totally forgot about that. But everything else, I mean, I, you know, I haven't seen uh, Last Hour or Exit Wounds or Top Five, Pimp, like all these other things. He's done Cradle a lot of direct to DVD stuff. Yeah. Cradle to the Grave, yeah. And Never Die Alone. I, I know he's done a lot of TV stuff. I think uh, the last thing I saw him in was maybe like uh, Fresh Off the Boat. I think he was in an episode of that. And then he was in, uh, I, th- I think, um, Black Ink Crew. Uh, like just kind of doing his, like he playing himself, that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, a, a lot of credits. But for me, the music is where I remember him. You know, uh, the album "It's Dark and Hell Is Hot," yeah. and that is that is what I'm talking about. Like that is like the music that kind of aided my early, very early rebellion as a not very rebellious kid, sure. honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a credit so much to him being so charismatic that he was able to transcend all these different mediums and really kind of express himself in so many different ways. Primarily in terms of film, I'll admit that my main point of reference was top five and his cameo in that film. And uh, that I mean, it's such a scene stealing moment that's easily like one of the funniest moments in the film. Um, and I've been revisiting that clip a decent bit throughout the week as a as a way to kind of make this death a little bit lighter, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely it shouldn't be undermined how much of a charismatic guy he was not only in terms of his entertainment but just like you know bringing out the best in people and like really just being a positive force in so many ways so it's definitely been a sore loss in many ways absolutely and it's there's a little bit of irony too to the fact that he, he was a very devout christian which i say that's ironic only because like I grew up in a very like religious household and I, and I just remember I would get in trouble if I listened to DMX because it was considered secular, awful music, right? And anti-Christian. But like as recently as last year, I remember he was like doing like online Bible studies and stuff, you know? And the, the, the point is, I mean, the guy's been through so much. He was a man of conviction, you know? He was somebody who, you know, really to me, he had his demons. He went through like really awful things and he had a lot of struggles, but I just always got the sense that he always tried to help people, you know, like he, and he didn't push his religion down people's throats as far as I understand. And he's just somebody who he just like cared, you know, yeah. about his fellow human beings. So it's, it's tough. Right. And it wasn't just like that. He didn't just do that for show. He practiced what he preached. Right. He'd often give back to the community and do a lot of exactly. things that, that, yeah. So for sure. So yeah, uh, all there really is to say about that, you know, we don't usually talk about celebrity deaths on the show or anything when we do, it's just kind of like, it, it, it definitely speaks a lot to the connection I guess we have to this guy's millennials, sure. you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's something I've definitely been thinking a lot about this past week and, you know, thoughts to his family. hope they're, yeah, they're okay. They're in good enough spirits. It's yeah, it's, it's tough. I think, um, I, I forget, did he have like uh children or anything? I actually don't know that. Uh, I believe so. I don't know for sure though. I don't want to speak out of turn. Yeah. But, um, I do know that, um, I read that in the statement that they released that the family was there when he passed away, which I didn't know if that was possible because of COVID. So that, mm-hmm. that did uh, make me feel a little bit better knowing that they were by his side when he passed away. Yeah, I to be totally, yeah, I, I'm not as familiar with his personal life. I, I just looked it up. Yeah, he had a lot of children, uh, 15. Yeah, I, I kind of figured, but I didn't want to assume. Uh, yeah. like I, I know he's, he's I, I've seen the video with his daughter on the um, uh, roller coaster now that I'm thinking back on it. I, I know at least he had a daughter, so yeah. All right. Well, on that kind of dour note a little bit, (laughs) I guess we can get into uh, our first review of the week here. And this is another case where we kind of had, like last week, we had a pick between two movies that aren't necessarily like low key. I mean, you could make the case for either of 
the two main reviews we're talking about this week. I mean, we're talking about three movies here. And mm-hmm. one of them is like an indie film. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to that, of course. But like sure. the big competition this week is we have on one side here, we have a big sci-fi movie. I mean, big sci-fi. It's kind of like a well-made or like, how should I put this? Competently budgeted, I guess, sci-fi movie with some real talent attached to it from Lionsgate that's hitting theaters. And we have a new Netflix movie with Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer and a lot of other household names, right? So Mm -hmm. looking at these two films, all I can say is, for me, the reason I think that Voyagers make sense is like the one we want to start with is because it, it is something that... I, I, I'm very interested in a conversation about this movie, much more interested than I am with Thunder Force. But we'll, we will talk about Thunder Force soon. That said, let's talk about Voyagers. Like I said before, it's sci-fi. And the, the pitch is very easy. I mean, watching this movie, anybody who's anybody, even if you've never read Lord of the Flies, I think people have like a culture understanding of that story, right? So they're going to be able to look at this and be very early on, be like, okay, it's Lord of the yep. Flies in space. Pretty Pretty basic pitch there. It's uh, directed by, written and directed by Neil Berger from like Limitless, Divergent. No wonder you had that slip of the tongue. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you said Lord of the Flies before. Oh. And you're talking about Neil Berger. You're just getting me hungry, man. <laughs> I haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> My bad. Neil yeah. Berger King, the, uh, the king of sci-fi teen dystopia films, I guess. And yeah, the, the cast includes Ty Sheridan, who I guess, I don't know if you've seen him since maybe like Dark Phoenix, and uh, Lily Rose Depp, who is the daughter of Johnny Depp and Vanessa Paradis, who I think, um let's see, Tusk, right? Was one uh, of her first roles? Yeah, I mean, she starred in Yoga Hosers, which was the spinoff of Tusk. Um, that's my main I know you, point. I know you saw that. <laughs> one of the worst movies uh, you said you ever saw. It's pretty bad. I think the last movie I saw her in was The King that timothy chalamet thing oh for all that was also on netflix or sorry not also on netflix that was on netflix um okay i guess it's how they met i think they were dating for a point uh I, you know i'm not caught up on sure, the uh the dating that's not of my business but, um yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> sure but yeah um also in this movie we have finn whitehead who you might remember from dunkirk that was a big big thing for him uh, also isaac hempstead right from game of thrones and we also have Colin Farrell, who definitely, uh, I, I, so I should say off the bat, I had no idea who, like what this movie was or who was in it, except from the poster I saw was Ty Sheridan and that's it. I didn't know this was Neil Berger. I didn't know Colin Farrell was going to show up. I, I didn't know any of this stuff. And I also didn't recognize Lily Rose Depp. So like it took like watching the movie and see it. I was like, oh yeah. Okay. But yeah, all that said, the premise of the movie is pretty simple. We are in the near future and humanity is like, yeah, Earth sucks, climate change and all that. So we need another planet that can sustain life. The problem is the only planet that can apparently do that is very far away. It would take 86 years to get a spaceship all the way to that planet. And we don't have like this technology that the movies usually have, like in a movie like Passengers, right? Or Avatar or something where on these long space journeys, usually with how they get around that whole like, well, we have to be in, you know, on a ship for decades. They get around that by usually by putting them in cryo sleep. So you just sleep the whole time and then all that. And then it's fine. You wake up and whatever. In this movie, that doesn't exist. So they don't have that technology. So the only way they're going to get humanity to this new planet is if a group of people essentially live on the ship for the rest of their lives. 
and they have children and those children are able to have children so that their grandkids will be the ones who eventually colonize the planet. So the early part of this movie is kind of just setting that up. It's saying, okay, so what would we reasonably do to achieve that mission? Well, if you sent people like if Will and I, if you and I got sent to another planet, we'd hate it. We, we'd miss the outside world, you know, we'd miss yeah. the, the cinemaholic studio amenities that we wouldn't be able sure. to get in space. Yeah. That's not possible. Mm-hmm. I, I actually kind of like that aspect of the movie where they kind of explore that. It's like, okay, so I, I wish there's a little bit more of it where it's like, yeah. w- what are like the little things to do to like, so they, they raise these kids essentially. That's like a bunch of teenagers, but they're test tube babies and they decide yeah. that they're going to raise them in a confined space so that when they're eventually in the shuttle, they're not going to miss anything. They're just going to be feeling at home. Yeah, I mean, I take no issue with the concept for sure. I think it's a fun idea. Yeah, yeah, it's it it's got a lot of food for thought. I think like before it becomes Lord of the Flies, I think that it's kind of smart, or at least yeah. smart adjacent. And yeah, so that's that's the basic premise. There's a lot more to it, but is it uh is it based on a book or a story? Is it an original concept from Burger? I forget. I think it's an original concept, but uh, I right. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this was Neil Burger's kind of. Sure thing because he wrote it and i don't think there are any other story credits so yeah it's it's an interesting concept i mean this is the guy who made divergent and mm-hmm. that was an adaptation so i could see why he'd be oh you know and limitless was an adaptation so right yeah i mean it, it follows the ya format so much that it just felt like a ya adaptation but i guess yeah. it was nothing that they were actually adapting from just taking that, from that's other the movies. Thing. <laughs> it's kind of weird too the direction this movie goes because i was kind of thinking that oh, are they going to make a trilogy out of this? And so it's going to be one of those things where we might have multiple movies exploring this space journey. And without giving anything away, this movie is pretty standalone. I think that they kind of purposely make it a, here, it's a one-and-done kind of concept, which I also kind of appreciate. Not everything needs to be a trilogy. And after the reviews and the box office for this, I think that safe to say that they're not going to make another one of these, even if, even if they did leave that door open. But yeah, so... Most of this movie, though, takes place 10 years into the mission, and these kids are kind of just robots, and we don't really know why. I mean, I guess we, we're, it's kind of inferred that they're raised to be this way. They're sort of like just these prodig- prodigious children who have been raised to be scientists, to save humanity, and, you know, they, they don't have a lot of freedom. They don't have a lot of energy or drive. They, I think, are like in their late teens, early 20s. And the, one of the first things I was thinking, I was like, well, if they're going to reproduce, when are they going to get to it? Because like, it, it was strange to me. It's like, well, how come they're not just constantly getting it on with each other? It's like a bunch of beautiful, you know, young people just are surrounded by each other all the time. Is it, I was wondering if the movie was going to get into this place of like, do they see each other too much as siblings? Because they, they're the only people they've known. Yeah, I was wondering that too. Right. But yeah. but the movie never even touches on that. We find out that no, there's actually something going on here. Yeah, I think there is like one like kind of like passing line where they kind of mention something about that, and it's early on. And I was kind of wondering if they were going to explore that, and then they just dropped that. But to the movie's credit, I think that is an idea that's approached at one point, but not really dived into, which is unfortunate because it's kind of interesting. I don't rec- I don't recall that ever being approached. I might have just missed it, but. Yeah, I think eventually we we get more of a scientific explanation for why they're like this, why they're so boring. And this the funny thing to me is like one the first part of the movie is they're boring automatons who don't have any personality. And then the movie's like, okay, we've done a bunch of story plot things so that they now have personality. 
and they still don't. And it's, it's amazing to see. It's like you have it in your script to like visually see growth and character development. Like we should be able to chart that progression, but with the exception of Finn Whitehead, it doesn't exist. They, they just, they continue being boring. Um, I'm just going to put it out there and say it. I think this is a bad movie and it's not terrible. In fact, I actually kind of recommend it to people if they are kind of curious about it. I think that there's way more, there are a lot of interesting things about it or like in this movie's periphery that are fun to talk about. Like I would much rather talk about this movie than the other one we're going to talk about, the other kind of genre movie that we're going to get into. But what about you? Well, I know I, I already know you don't like this one. Uh, it's not that I dislike it per se. I, I think ultimately it's a fairly mediocre film, but it's one that, as you were suggesting, it kind of verges on being good to decent throughout that it, it never fully lost me in a way that I think uh, the other film just like from the get go, I could kind of tell what it was. And, and I mean, I didn't like uh, dismiss it out of hand, but I was just kind of like, OK, yes, yeah, this, is, this is basically what I expected <laughs> um, as opposed to this one where it's like. When it started, I was just kind of like, yeah, no, it's probably going to be like another kind of mediocre teen drama kind of thing. And and when it was starting out, it did introduce, like you're saying, some interesting concepts and like some kind of heady ideas. And it's like, OK, like I, I don't think it's necessarily working, but there's something to this idea. And and, and um, Neil Berger, I, I know he did Limitless uh, before this, but um, following that, he did, uh, like you said, Divergent. And then like, I think The Upside, the uh uh, Brian Cranston movie and those those two films felt like he was sort of like a director for hire and this one it, it does feel like his influence is more apparent or at least the director of Limitless is a uh, influence is more apparent in this well then do you think then that that this is his blank check like do you think this was his passion I think project so. okay yeah. I mean I don't know I mean I have no idea but I mean if it's an original script that he wrote like you said it's not it's not a cheap film. Like it, it yeah. probably was at least like 40 million to make. It's like 30. Okay. But even still, like, I mean, for like a mid budget type things, it's usually always like a favor or something in the studio game nowadays. Like this is, this is becoming the rarity outside of like Netflix. So, um, I, I have to imagine they're like, you, you did us a solid two times. Like we'll let you make your weird Lord of the Fly space movie. We'll see what happens. Um, so, I would be my guess. Like I said, I don't really know how the production of this movie went. But um, the weird thing for me was that, like, as you were kind of suggesting that, like, even though this was his idea and his concept, it felt like the material wasn't really right for his sensibilities. Because like you said, like, there is, like, kind of, like, sterile mentality throughout that I think you have to have a very specific type of tone to pull that off. And I just don't think neil Berger's style really fits that so we have these kind of like weird injections of like you know like 90s kind of flash montage stylings that that often kind of feel like abruptly against everything that comes before this and like you said like the movie never finds a way to kind of blend those two sensibilities of having a kind of like you know heightened personality in the second half to counterbalance the kind of more calculated and subdued stuff in the beginning and it just never it just feels like a movie that doesn't fully gel with itself like it's not quite confident enough i guess to really pull off that tonal balance or it's not quite diverse enough in its scene um depictions to really capture that that tonal balance either but like you were saying there's something here to this concept and i guess that's what makes it more frustrating is that like you can see a better movie kind of popping out or a smarter movie at least it just doesn't fully realize itself i guess by 
by any point, really, yeah, unfortunately. It's a, it's a bit of a beautiful disaster because a disaster, at least in the sense that like, ah, I see so many things in this movie that are really just, they're, they're the kinds of things that normally would sweep me up in a sci-fi movie. One of the things I liked the most was how they really capture the, the energy of this ship in a way that always matches like the story and like where the plot is because like early on when the kids are feeling confined, there are just these really nice subtle touches that make the ship feel confined. So you kind of are in their heads a little bit. You kind of understand how scared and trapped they feel. Right. It's not a smart movie, but it is a thoughtful one, I guess, in terms of its approach. I think that's, that's something that did stick out to me, I'd say. Yeah, it is thoughtful, you know, but it's also, unfortunately, it's not insightful. You know, there's no point in this movie where I thought that it was saying anything that wasn't pretty obvious. I mean, they they just go into all of these realms of like the things you've seen before. And I think that's the trouble of making this Lord of the Flies in space. How many times have we gotten movies that are about, okay, when left to their own devices, humanity at its most primal becomes tribalistic the people will use fear to manipulate awful things will happen and i think this movie's solution to that was okay when this situation arises and you know the main the main thing in this movie is a rivalry between the uh the guy uh the kind of like nicer but you know also skeptical guy christopher played by ty sheridan versus zach the finn whitehead character who is just really hedonistic really in it for himself and the I think like the resolution to their conflict, it's set up to be more interesting than it, it ultimately is. There are so many parts where I was like, okay, what these are characters who should be so clever. You know, these are characters who should be able to yeah. outsmart and you know, but unfortunately it all just ends up being, okay, who is going to action movie their way out of this? And yeah. that's the stuff to me that's like, okay, you chose spectacle over something like you were saying, like smart. I mean, considering Neil Berger's filmography, I think he tends to favor concepts over characters and stories, just generally speaking. Like, I mean, looking at like The Illusionist and Limitless and even to some extent Divergent and The Upside, like I think it's more about the concepts and the characters. Oh, I guess maybe less so with The Upside, but like I said, that felt more like a like him kind of doing a favor for Lionsgate. But um, yeah, I mean, at the same time, I, I think you are right in that, like, I think he was maybe so confident in his concept that he didn't, he felt like he could kind of settle in other aspects of the film, including character and story. And that's a shame because I feel like if he's, Maybe if he pushed against that, it would have been a little bit more interesting or a little bit more intriguing. But at the same time, I don't know if that's a studio coming in being like, you can't get too weird with this or you can't like, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what the uh, the what's holding this back per se, but it does feel like there, it's like two ingredients off. Like there's there needs to be something else here to kind of make this more worthwhile. And it's just not quite there yet. I think one of those things, at least, is the casting, because Probably. I do yeah. think Colin Farrell's good in this. I, I actually think that like his material is kind of subtle. It's a quieter performance from him. And it's there's a lot of shades of gray to it. There are yeah. some kind of things that they hint at that I was a little bit like, uh-oh, you know, are we doing this movie? Like, I don't know sure. about that. And fortunately, I think that the movie recognizes, no, we, we don't need to get into stuff that is down that path instead let's you know focus on what the audience is kind of here for but everybody else my goodness i mean again though finn whitehead i think he's the only person in this movie who, who kind of gets the energy of this and i think because actually i think part of it too is that the writing of his character is probably there's way more flavor to it than the other ones sure 
because like that's the thing they're told like you have to be robotic and they're like cool we'll just do that and it's not entertaining and like I, I don't know like how do you make characters like this likable and i think you just need a different cast i, I just think you need people who are able to it, it's it's a tough challenge and i don't think any of these actors are bad and i don't think any of them i, I don't blame them i think yeah. that they needed uh better directing you know hand here but, but at, sure. at the same time i also think that they were cast i think for reasons that are kind of i don't maybe shallow i don't know yeah particularly ty sheridan i i don't I don't see it like I do not everything we've seen him in. I've yet to understand why does this guy keep getting this kind of role? He keeps getting cast as the straight guy. And it's, I don't think he's interesting as that. I think he, he's good in smaller movies like mud and like Joe and like the tree of life. I know I like that movie a little bit more than you do, but Mm. um, I think he, like he can dependably lead those type of movies. But yeah, when he's put into like the, like uh, blockbuster mode with um, ready player one or this, or like um, mud two. Yeah. Mud two never clean. Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I was, I was thinking the X-Men movies cause I think he was Cyclops in the, uh, the last two or three, but, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt he was miscast here cause it just didn't really feel like, I don't know, but maybe that's just because I, like, I don't know who I'd replace him with cause it's like, there's not really much of that character. I was trying to think about this, like Evan Peters. I don't know. It's, it's tough. I'm not yeah. a casting. I'm not Allison Jones. I guess, yeah. Uh, you're no Nina Gold. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really blame him per se, but I did kind of feel like, yeah, he seems a bit miscast here. But at the same time, I was like, they're they're asking for like the charisma of a of a Instagram influencer here. So I don't I don't know who exactly I I replace him with. So I don't know. I I just think he creeped me out when he transitions into the more impulse driven version of this character like i don't know there was just something about the performance that was like really off and then there was just something about it that i just didn't buy i just didn't see uh i didn't see a transition really i felt like there wasn't much of a differentiation between those two truth be told i think there i think it was kind of abrupt but and then also lily rose depp i just didn't that's the thing i think this movie rests on how much you care about her and i just found myself not and i i found myself like Definitely not wanting. I, it's I didn't root for anybody in this movie. Essentially, I just thought everybody sure. was kind of insufferable. Yeah, they're they're kind of a blank blank slate throughout, which I guess is kind of core to the concept, but not the most beneficial when it comes to developing intriguing or worthwhile characters. Yeah, it's like you. They took what probably should have been an ensemble, and they really just put all of the care and focus into these three characters. Everybody else is very one dimensional. You have this one character named Phoebe, who I thought, you know, that that to me would have made more sense probably as the either the lead love interest or just the straight up lead. But yeah. instead, they decide to make her the she's played by Shante Adams. They decide to make her the the piggy character. And there's some really irksome stuff there with how they treat that character that sure. is just disturbing to watch, honestly. Yeah. Um, there's also the the guy from Blinded by Light who's introduced to the movie, I feel yeah. like, somewhat abruptly. Like, I, I didn't even realize until almost halfway through that he was in the movie. And then he becomes almost a pivotal character until the movie's just like, eh, we don't really need you. And then they just kind of forget about him again <laughs> in a way that's, yeah, annoying. They also have the guy from uh, Midsummer, one of the guys from Midsummer. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like 
like, like I said before, it's like they cast these people because I think every one of these actors has presence. And because so many of them have similar personalities in parts of this movie, they were trying to find people who look very different from each other so that you could kind of like pick them out. And I, I always, I did give a good sense of like which character was which. The problem for me was that I didn't understand these characters. I didn't understand why would they be so susceptible to what they're susceptible to. The only time in this movie where I thought it kind of made sense was when they all decided to run wild a little bit. That to me was like very interesting because there is there is an interesting layer of story there of like if you've been held back from experience the fullness of life for so long what happens when you just let it all out and that was the moment where i was like okay this is accessible this is something that like people can watch like people have experienced in their lives where they've been sheltered for a long time but then like maybe they go to college or something they're around other people who are let out of the you know the cage that is their early life and are allowed to just sort of be on their own and like what happens there can be kind of chaotic and bad in some ways you right. know but also important as a life experience i mean if it wasn't made apparent already this is a metaphor or perhaps an allegory for puberty <laughs> it is a me- wait what this the the movie yeah i mean I, that's how i took it as like it's supposed to be like some kind of like broad metaphor for puberty and like you know kind of getting out of your shell like you're suggesting and kind of like learning to um get out of like your cohabited mindset is that something i mean i know they age will but are you trying to say that they come of age because that's that's going pretty far uh but yeah it's, it's all pretty obvious that's the thing yeah but it's not you know again it's not it's watchable it's very watchable and it's like one of those things where like i didn't hate i wasn't miserable watching it it's intriguingly milk toast is the term I think I would use. Milky toast for uh, how gross the food was that they ate. Yeah. I don't know. That was a weird one. But yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I gave you just enough of a leash to, to hang yourself with or that one. This is what happened. Normally, yeah. Will, you give me a beverage every single day and you're sure. like, here, John, drink this. This will keep you in line. But today sure. I said... I'm breaking away a little bit. I'm doing my own thing. You're choosing Mm -hmm. chaos. (laughs) Anything else about this movie you want to point out? Good, bad, in between? Um, Well, in relation to what you were saying about Colin Firth, I do, or sorry, Colin Farrell. I was going to say, I don't remember him in this. uh, I I do agree. I think he did a fine job and I think he brings, you know, what you expect from the role. But I do, I do find myself getting kind of concerned that he's getting typecast into these like mentor type roles with like Artemis Fowl and Dumbo and this, it just kind of feels like he's, he's kind of settling into this groove where I'd, I'd rather see him do more character pieces again. Like, I, like I, lobster. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Or even like the second season of true detective. Like I think he did a good job in that show, even though that, that season is uh, not great. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was what 2015 and we were so young once and I guess it's yeah, that was just, six years ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, he's in the second phase of his career, and I guess that's uh, that's where he's headed. I hope he gets another kind of more character-driven thing later, but sure. alas. Um, yeah, to I mean, your, other than that... To your that? point, though, I want to say real quick about The Lobster. There's a good example of a movie that oh, yeah. plays with metaphor and characters that are kind of robotic, but they still have personality all the same, right? It, it, it can be done. Jessica yeah. Barden in that movie has more charisma than anybody else I in this movie except for Finn Whitehead, I'd say. Yorgos Lanthimos's Voyagers is a movie I'd certainly love to see. Oh, there we go. Yeah, remake yeah. it. Sure. 
Oh, man. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, um, I think we covered the the majority of anything I'd have to say about this film. I, I do, I do want to say, though, I think the last, like, five minutes of film I, I genuinely really liked. And I think that kind of settled into something I felt for a while, which is I think Neil Berger is really good at montages or, like, kind of, like, quick montages. And I, I don't think he's quite good at establishing stories and stakes and stuff like that. So... I don't know what to say about that per se, but uh, I, I did think the end of the film was pretty solid for what it was going for. Uh, I can't say I agree. I, I found it okay, I guess. I, I The ending didn't really stick out to me personally. I, to me, that's the stuff that worked the most was the, the setup and just some of the concepts that they played around with, but not really the execution in any respect, uh, minus a few things here and there, as I mentioned. Sure. But, but what was your grade? Uh, I'm going to give it uh, a high C, like the astronaut's drink. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Or is that Tang? I'm a C as well. So yeah, we're kind of on the same page there. It's my heart though. I have a heart for this movie that's closer to maybe even a B minus, but I I have to be pretty honest about how uh, just incompetent this film is in a lot of respects. At the same time, I can't say I don't recommend it to certain there are people i know who i think would watch this and get a kick out of it but that's a very select group of people i think but if you're interested you can check it out it's only 108 minutes long it's not it doesn't feel that long to me i mean not really looking back on it yeah kind of a breezy watch i do think they cut some stuff in the like second act it it did kind of feel like some things were a bit abrupt there but i i do think it flows decently well yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. But yeah, for what we got, I'd say that it's not it's not terrible. I mean, it's getting ravaged by critics right now, but I think that's because a lot of people are mixed to negative. I, I don't know a ton of people who are just like, this is the worst movie ever or anything like that. It's just people who are like, yeah, it's not good, but you know, could have been yeah. worse. I mean, it seems like your classic example of like when a movie gets like 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I don't know what the score is for this movie, but like if, if a movie gets like 30%, but all the reviews are like five out of 10, it's just like, yeah, I mean, it just means everyone's kind of like yeah. whatever about a movie. <laughs> I think it's like 26% last I checked. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's pretty low. Oh, man. But all right, yeah, that's Voyagers. Uh, I have a written review of it right now on Awards Watch. If you want to read any of my silvered words about it, it's, it's there as well. But I think you kind of get the gist. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, available to watch right now in theaters. And I think I think drive-in theaters. And if you are safe and vaccinated and everything like that, uh, you can check it out, uh, I think, in your local area if it's playing. I mean, I will say, I mean, if you are going to see it, it wouldn't hurt to see it in theaters. I mean, space movies do look good on the big screen, and it is a nice-looking film. I, we didn't compliment the cinematographer, but I think it does generally look nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I complimented the cinematography. The cinematographer sure. is Enrique Shediak, okay. who, um, yeah, I, I think is uh, from Ecuador. And, okay. yeah, so I, I think um, this guy, I think he did uh, 120, 127 hours and a few other I did kind of get a uh, Danny Boyle vibe throughout the film, so that makes sense. I got a Maze Runner vibe, and I think he did that one as well. Sure. But All right, that is Voyagers. If you check it out and you have any thoughts on it, good or bad, send us an email. We'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Next up, we'll talk about Thunder Force. Thunder Force is a Netflix movie. It's their latest superhero film. We, Will and I were kind of talking about this off the year. There's been a few Netflix superhero movies, and it, I don't think any of them have been good. There was Project Power, and you consider Old Guard a superhero movie. Is I it not? don't. I and I think Old Guard is good. I I think it's it's like an action like moderate like 
realistic fantasy kind of thing. But you have a different take? Okay. Well, I, I do think it is a superhero movie, if one for adults. But uh, I, I, I think it's a extremely mediocre movie and, and one I've mostly forgotten outside of a few key scenes. But um, otherwise, uh, yeah, it's not my cup of tea. Could not disagree more. I, I, I think it's genuinely really good. I, I really liked Old Guard. But, right. you know, it, 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 if we were ranking the Netflix superhero movies, it'd be my number one by pretty decent margin. Did you say Project Power would be yours? I, I mean, by default, I guess. Is, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. This, is this it? Just those three? <laughs> uh, we might be forgetting a few others, you know. Is Hubie Halloween a superhero movie? Who's to say? Um. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is a superhero comedy written and directed by Ben Falcone, and it stars Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer, Bobby Cannavale, Jason Bateman, a few other people you'll recognize, Melissa Leo. And yeah, this is the latest film from Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy. They're, of course, the husband and wife duo behind some other films uh, like Tammy and uh, it was Identity Thief one that they did together nope. as well. No, I mean, I don't know if she produced it, but that was uh, what's his face? King of Kong guy. Well, yeah, uh, I know. Bosses. I'm pretty sure like Craig Mazin did the screenplay for that one. So I think you're right. Yes, yeah, he they, did. Yes, mm-hmm. they did Life of the Party. I know that. And yeah, uh, the we talked about that movie, one of our most popular episodes of yeah. uh, that year. <laughs> for <laughs> for a reason. Fact. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I forgot to mention, this movie also has um, Palm Clemency from uh, The Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. She plays oh, yeah. uh, Mantis. I did not expect to see her in this. And she has like Nor a totally different like look, so I didn't recognize her at first. But then once uh, she started like doing her thing, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Mantis. It's mm-hmm. nice to see her. And something yeah. that's, you know, not Guardians of the Galaxy. But anyway, yeah, so this just came out on Netflix. It has been getting ravaged by critics. And I think we kind of expected this. I mean, it's, I think Ben Falcone is like yet to make a good movie. I, I, I think that for whatever reason, he keeps getting these projects. And I think it's kind of an Adam Sandler situation where a lot of people will watch this because of the talent involved. And they kind of see it as like, oh, this is a movie that is going to just sort of be dumb, but I can, like, you're kind of telling me this off the air. I can fold laundry while I watch this movie and, you know, just kind of decompress. I mean, some people cling to their wife's success. Uh, Ben Falcone is holding on to it for dear life. (laughs) I, I guess so. And you know what? They had, um, okay, I will say this. They have this big Netflix deal. I, I forget how many films they're going to be making with Netflix. Well, they're making a show next, right? Not that I'm aware of. It's like God's Favorite Idiot, I think it's called. It's like a show, I guess. But movie-wise, like they've they've got a bunch of Netflix stuff coming up. Very similar to like Adam Sandler thing. Super Intelligence. That was the, the other one they did. And uh, The Boss. They, I think the next one that they have for Netflix is a, like a Christmas movie. And I genuinely believe that like Ben Falcone is doing this because he thinks making movies is fun and he has fun doing it and he likes making movies with Melissa McCarthy. I don't think this guy really sets out to make a great movie. I, I might be totally wrong about that, but I just don't get that. I just don't get the sense that he cares if the movie is good or bad or what people think of it. I just think that he's just making movies because he can. And I, I, do you think that's do you think that's unfounded? No, because I think my interpretation of their creative process and like we say, I don't know. I don't. I have. I haven't met them. I don't know what they they do when they come up with their movies. But I imagine it goes something like, "Hey, wouldn't it be fun if so and so?" 
And they're like, yeah. And then they, they, you know, either come up with a bare bones concept or whatever, and they, they flesh it out in the process. Or if they're on set, it's like, hey, that's kind of a funny idea. Why don't we just kind of run with that? And then they, they turn what should be a 30 second joke into a two and a half minute joke. Because if it was funny for 30 seconds, surely it'll be funny for two and a half minutes. And yeah, that's how we it's get the Ghostbusters thing, you know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I would prefer Ghostbusters over any of the movies that Ben Falcone has directed, admittedly, but sure. I guess, but not by much. I, I just think that there's this, like, these movies that generally Melissa McCarthy is in, com- like comedy wise, they just have like a sense of humor that I don't understand, like what people find funny about it. And I, you know, if people get like joy and they enjoy these films, that's awesome, you know? I, but, to what I was saying before, I just think that like he makes the film, like you said, just sort of to make it and to just sort of have fun. And I, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, I don't know. I just wish that like, why can't they like look at a film and be like, let's say something with this movie. Let's do something with this concept that's different. And I don't know. That's the thing that I'm craving from these things. I mean, he's directed now, what, five films? And I don't think he has improved in a, in his uh, direction any particular way, as far as I can see. Like, it just seems like he has been consistently fairly mediocre in terms of his approach. Like, it's a lot of, you know, like, kind of general setup. Uh, it's not like he, like, really advances in any particular way as a filmmaker. And uh, I don't know, if, like you said, I don't, I don't know if he's really even trying to. But um, I, I, I do think that it's more unfortunate for Melissa McCarthy, who, as we all know at this point, you know, she is a very talented actress. And I'm not only in the comedy field, but in directing. I mean, she has two Oscar nominations for a comedy and a drama. And I, yeah. I don't think those are unearned. I think, you know, you know, it is a very good performance in Bridesmaids. I really like her work in um, uh, The Nines and Can You Ever Forgive Me? And um even like movies I don't like at all, like Identity Thief, like I think that's a horrible movie and I think it's a terrible comedy. But there is one scene in that movie where like Melissa McCarthy is genuinely like really acting and it's like, wow, like clearly, you know, even if in like a garbage movie, if she is given the chance to act, she can. But I feel like with Ben Falcone, and this happens when you have a director that you're like personal or, you know, close with, like I, I think she kind of just settles in a way that like, I, I mean, it's not like I think they're lazy in terms of their approach, but you know, I mean, a director, sometimes you kind of have to, have, you know, give and pull. And I feel like Ben Falcone is probably a very nice guy and he obviously loves his wife and he kind of just goes and rolls with the punches, I guess. And I, I just feel like there's just not a whole lot there, I guess, in terms of like really defining her characters or really kind of following the funny in a way that's interesting for an extended movie length period of time. Yeah, I basically agree with all that. You know, even a movie like Spy, which I don't like as much, but people really like I do like Spy. Spy yeah. yeah, people like I, that I like movie. Spy. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason they like it is because Melissa McCarthy really commits to that role. And like, I don't think anyone can deny that she's extremely talented, really good at what she does. It's just to me, unfortunate that she like the majority of her projects are these sort of like hangout movies with, you know, that kind of are just content to be mediocre, I suppose. Sure. Which is, that I just mean- kind of irks me. I mean, she gets a lot of, you know, I mean, they get a lot of really, you know, talented people, especially in this movie. Like, yeah. I, mean, I imagine like working on their movies is fun and they're, they're probably really nice and supportive. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good check. Sure. Yeah, they're doing I mean, they're getting some money. They're hanging out with people. They know. I, I get it. Like, I don't sure. judge anybody involved here at all. Are you saying that Jason Bateman isn't fully committed to the bit here? <laughs> <laughs> I think he absolutely 100 percent was born to play the crap. 
guy in this movie. So, okay, what is this movie? So, Thunder Force is about a world where it's kind of taking this uh, version of the synopsis from Steelheart, the Brandon Sanderson book, which is basically like, what if the only, what if a bunch of people in the world got superpowers, but the only people who got superpowers were the villains? So if you are like sociopathic, you have like no feeling or remorse or just evil, pure evil, just because you're evil, then you, I think it's implied that you will have superpowers or you're very likely to have superpowers. And this is how the world's been for like decades, which that doesn't make sense that like the world is completely the same after decades of this, except that there's just some villains, you know, here and there that like they're little annoyances, right? I mean, even beyond that, I just was thinking, like, this movie starts the way all comedies do, with a train being blown up and our protagonist's right. parents dying. It's just like, yep, that's that's how we get them laughing from the beginning. Like, just, like, this horribly depressing way to start a movie. <laughs> it's very off-kilter. I mean, they, they, they kick things off by trying to sell to us a world where there are just super villains, but there are no superheroes. And the whole point of this movie is that the two main characters have a reason to sort of fight back against that, but they don't have superpowers. So they have to find a way to get superpowers a different way. And that's mainly through Octavia Spencer, who plays the scientist named Emily Stanton, who is very successful and she's brilliant. And she comes up with a way through a very grueling process to give her former best friend, her estranged best friend, Lydia, placed by played by Melissa McCarthy, the power of super strength. And she herself gets the power of invisibility. And I should say too, this does like, they don't become the thunder force. Uh, it's kind of like fantastic four. They don't become like the thing like the super team until halfway through the movie, something like that. We don't spend a ton of time with them actually in the world. They spend a lot of time setting it up and putting them through like the training and everything. And that to me is a mistake because that is the most interesting stuff in this movie is when they're just hanging out at Thunder Force headquarters, like this like Chicago tech, you know, Elon Musk designed building where they have to like, there's hijinks and, you know, there's like weird implications if, if you had super strength and how to control it and do all this stuff and that there's like this whole montage and having to connect with each other because they haven't seen each other in years. And this was the part of the movie where I was like, yeah, okay. Like there's a concept here. And then they cut to the villains of the movie. And you know, we're talking about this off the air, like the villains in this movie, I kind of wish that it was about them. There's like this little cabal True. led by Bobby Cannavale and yeah, and, and, and Palm Clemency and Jason Bateman are just kind of like in this like little clique of supervillains. And it's, it's a part of the movie that's absurd and there's no logic to it. And it's just sort of like slapstick, high concept humor. And I was like, this is actually working. Like this is True. halfway good. So, but then it cuts to Melissa McCarthy, you know, belly flopping and on the street or something. I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I was just telling you off the air that I, I think the villain sequences introduce what I consider the only really funny scene in this film. And I won't give it away, but it in, it's one of the few times where I think extending the joke longer than you expect it actually kind of works the movie's favor. But it's also one of the few times where the movie's actually kind of indulging in a darker sense of humor. So I don't know if that's coincidental or if that just speaks more about me. But that's the only time in the movie I can honestly say that I got a good laugh or even a chuckle out of this film. I think it works because it's the writing. Like the characters bounce off each other well. Bobby Cannavale is just this like sadistic, corrupt politician. 
and Jason Bateman, you know, they kind of talk, they kind of get to it eventually, but like, he's not really that evil or anything. He's kind of like the audience surrogate for this world, even though he sure. has crab claws for hands and yeah. but he just sort of like arrested developments his way through every situation so his energy complements that super well and then you just have palm clemency who just is hilarious no matter what she kind of says or does so she just kind of is like sort of adding her sadistic flair to it and it, there's like there's just a good energy between the three of them but then you cut to octavia spencer and melissa mccarthy who are just kind of vanilla by comparison like i don't there's just no texture to their characters besides you know, she's kind of just a super brilliant person who maybe needs to like focus more on human connection. And Melissa McCarthy has to be a little bit more. Uh, I don't. Know, I don't even know what she learns in this movie. Honestly, she just uh, kind of like more is herself. Selfless, I think. Uh, but no, nah, but she's I mean, pretty selfless throughout the movie. Otherwise, yeah, the, the movie's basically on her side the whole time. You know, there's this whole subplot where she connects with. Octavia Spencer's daughter and they, they kind of, her whole thing is like, Hey, you know, don't be so hoity toity, you know, like care about your fellow person, like be on the ground level. She's like a ground level superhero. And, you know, you get, you get the sense that Emily is like trying to only focus on her goal of stopping the supervillains, but not really paying attention to the people around her. I don't know. It's a germ of an idea, I guess. Well, I mean, that's my whole thing, I guess, with the Falcone's um, filmography is that I think he comes up, well, I guess him and Melissa McCarthy, I think they come up with concepts and characters, but they don't really flesh them out. They're just kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if there was a movie, like a superhero movie, where it was like two like mid middle-aged women kind of just like kind of figuring out the whole superhero thing. It's like, yeah, I guess that's a concept yeah. that can work. If you flesh it out, sure. Yeah, but they, they kind of settle at that point, or they, they're content to be like, all right, we got a funny concept. The funny will follow. And it's just like, no, sometimes you kind of have to work for the funny. Like, you can't just, like, yeah. assume that the concept is going to carry it. It's represented by, like, how certain creative decisions they make where you do get the sense that it was, like, the first idea someone had, for example. Like, okay, what's their pump-up music going to be on their first caper? And it's a Glenn Fry song because like even the character is like, why, why, why would it be a Glenn Fry song? And I genuinely think it's because it was the, like somebody took out their phone and pressed shuffle. And it was like the first thing that came up and they're yeah. like, we're doing it. We're doing that song. Well, <laughs> I mean, just, they, you know, yeah, they come from an improv background and that, it seems to yeah. flow into all their movies. Just kind of like, Oh, we're, this is where the joke's going. Okay. We can, can work with that and just kind of going it's with riff. it. Right. Yeah. Let's just riff. Um, which I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't mind riffing, but I think, you know, generally speaking, you, you kind of have to do a little bit more. Like you have to elevate the joke or you kind of have to like layer it in some way. And like I said, with the exception of that one scene, I just don't think they do that here or any of their films really. Yeah. It's, it's like weirdly straightforward and just like surface level. <laughs> like they're just sort of, it, it, that's the thing. There's so many superhero things, so many superhero shows and movies especially on netflix and on disney plus and all this stuff so like how do you set yourself apart and i don't think like melissa mccarthy humor is enough right i mean and, and octavia spencer like i think is for me like best with her dramatic roles and her more like really bizarre genre roles right so sure. like i don't understand what she's doing here i thought ma was pretty funny so i don't know about you but um it's funny in a different <laughs> Sure. At a different uh, playing field, right? Sure. 
that's a memorable movie for reasons we don't have to talk about. Sure. But here it's just like, I don't know. There's just nothing to her character we haven't seen before. Nothing. This movie doesn't say anything. It's just sort of like an excuse for their version of a superhero movie, which is like just very plain and boring to me. To that point, yeah, I, I'm honestly kind of surprised that Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy weren't making Netflix movies before this, because like they they're always kind of working that modus operandi from the beginning. Like even Tammy, to an extent, was just like a character piece for them to just kind of like do their thing, but it's not like super plot driven or like stakes dependent or anything like that. So I think being on Netflix, kind of similar to Adam Sandler, like. I think that's probably the best mode for them, I guess. They're going to keep making movies like this um, because, you know, it, it'll be directly sent to their audience and, you know, they don't have to worry about, like, doing too much to establish, like, tone or stakes because, like we were saying, with Netflix, you have the, the comfort of just kind of, like, knowing that the audience might just, like, go into the kitchen and spend four minutes finding a snack to eat and come back and not lose anything in terms of, like, what happened in the plot or anything like that. So um, I, I, I think... It makes sense for them to be on Netflix, but that doesn't mean they're making good films at this point. Like we said, it just seems like they're kind of consistently mediocre now. And, and I will give the movie credit in that, like, I, I think this one's better than Super Intelligence, which was just terrible. <laughs> we didn't cover it on the show, but it, it's really... Yeah, I, never, it, I never saw it. Just, uh, just an impressively awful film. <laughs> um, and I think the other ones before it were just kind of, like, lukewarm in kind of the same way that this movie is. It's just, like... Yeah, I mean, like, I like all the people involved. I'm sure they're very nice people to work with, but they don't really make super entertaining films together, and it's not like I'm getting much out of them, like you said, thematically either. So we're just kind of left with, like, a giant shrug of a filmography. Yeah, yeah. Melissa McCarthy is very funny, but, like, trust that she's funny. You don't have to be, like, improvise every single joke. Just write jokes. Let's do that. But, yeah, all that said way more people watched thunder force than they did voyagers you know we didn't we didn't talk about how much voyagers made but that made like what a little over a million dollars in the box office and so i looked at the the letterboxed of like okay how many people are logging this stuff and it's not a science but we can definitely see a disparity so when i when i look at the thunder force page 7.6 thousand letterboxed users logged the film 615 people hearted it but then when you look at voyagers by comparison, only 931 people saw that and only 123 people hearted it. And it just speaks to me that like this is the dominant pop culture right now. The Netflix weekly movie that comes out when we don't really have a big Marvel or DC Warner Brothers kind of thing coming out. If if Disney's quiet, <laughs> then the Netflix thing is the thing that kind of just like blows up. And sometimes it overshadows Disney completely, right? So... I guess we just have to accept that. I just, my question for you, Will, is, is it Netflix? Is it because that they give these directors and these like filmmakers so much carte blanche that they don't have the studio notes? They don't have the like, hey, maybe you should do like this or rein this in. They just say, make whatever the heck you want. We don't have to worry about marketing it. We don't have to worry about like people will watch whatever we put on the site. And I think that it's a generally worrisome trend. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, like you're suggesting, it does kind of encourage a sense of mediocrity in terms of like not really giving a lot of pushback or like offering a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, encouragement in terms of like, you know, taking this out or like, I guess what I'm trying to say is criticism, like kind of like figuring out what's working, what's 
what's not working. Yeah, I mean, just kind of like give and pull. Just generally speaking, in artistic environment, when you have people who are kind of able to um, helpfully criticize and, and offer key advice to to improve the end product, that generally tends to work out for the better. Not always, but broadly speaking, that that tends to work. And and with Netflix, it does kind of seem like they they're more. Uh, concerned with the al- the uh, um, algorithm and the numbers and just like just as long as we have something that could be released on this weekend and reach this many people and be number one for these amount of days it's like you've succeeded in what you're trying to do you're keeping people subscribed to our service it doesn't really matter if this is good or even decent it just has to be kind of watchable in a banal sort of way and and I, like I said before I think it's kind of surprising to me that Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy weren't already making movies for Netflix because I feel like they were kind of making Netflix movies already, uh, just wow. under the studio system. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, but true. Is it really? I mean, like, I mean, like Life of the Party. Like, if it was, if it came out on Netflix as opposed to theaters, would it be really any different? Yeah, it, you know, we should be clear. It's not that Netflix doesn't make good movies. Of course they do. They make some of the best movies of the year, but. A lot of the time they don't. They just kind of like put this stuff out, and mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's it's a bit of a confusing push and pull, honestly. I mean, for every like good to great film on Netflix, like there are three others that are mediocre at best or more, because there's there's so many Netflix movies that come out every week. We we could literally make just, and I'm sure they're out there, a Netflix podcast that only covers Netflix releases, maybe even just Netflix movies, uh, and you'd me. still be able to just like cover the same amount of content that we do on the show. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> Which is kind of wild, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I, it's kind of amazing like how much they cr- they put out there. And I, I don't want to criticize them for that approach because that's their approach and I'm sure whatever works, whatever works for them. But I guess the thing that I personally just prefer, and maybe some other people do too, is I just like better curated film output, like A24. Not every A24 movie is a winner, but I'm always interested or really curious about a new A24 movie. And the same even goes for something like, um, you know, like uh, one of the bigger services. Like if something is going to come out on HBO Max that's original or like just kind of like a different sort of thing, I'm, I'm generally pretty curious with HBO because they they just have a good reputation and it you know not everything again not everything that they put out as a winner but it's always going to be to me like worth looking into at least but with netflix so much like so much stuff just passes me by and i don't give it Mm -hmm. a second look because i i feel like i don't need to it's weird yeah and i mean that that also tends to hurt the actually good films because half the time they kind of go under the radar and people don't, unless like people are championing them or like they get some award considerations. Half the times yeah. there will be like generally very good films or like good films that uh, just, you know, kind of fly under the radar because they're not getting a whole lot of notice or praise. But I do agree yeah. with you that it is kind of getting to the point where like, like I honestly don't know why some people just, I mean, I'm sure somebody does this, but like you could just like tally up like, okay, the five bloods, I'm thinking of ending things. Dick Johnson is dead, Mank and like whatever else. And just like, spend two months just catching up on on those stuff and then just like cancel your netflix subscription until like that time next year and just figure out like you know okay this this is what these are the good ones i guess they're like the ones i should check out and just like binge them and then just you know repeat the cycle like i i I am wondering if people do that because at this point like it does seem like only a handful of these movies end up being worthwhile or even worth considering so i don't know yeah yeah i i think that with netflix like 
I'm getting very burnt out on a lot of their content, particularly their their uh, their series and a lot of their documentary stuff. Sometimes it's fine, but like nothing really hits me. Like I don't feel like I'm getting a good experience generally. I think like the last thing I saw on Netflix that I genuinely got a lot of a real kick out of that I got I had a lot of fun watching was the the uh, DOTA th- I don't know it's Dota DOTA whatever the Dragon's Blood thing. It's like a Western anime that. I don't know anybody else who watched it. It just showed up on my Netflix and I chucked the whole thing out and I thought it was kind of fun. It was a really cool action series that was a nice surprise. But aside from that, nothing really has like, there's stuff that's hit Netflix. People have been like, oh yeah, there's this thing called Deadly Illusions. That's just uh, this weird movie that on, that is like starring a bunch of people you recognize, but uh, (laughs) probably shouldn't watch, I guess, because it it has some weird stuff in it. I don't know. Yeah. I heard that was pretty terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't watch it, but again, it's like that just happened and then nobody talked about it. It's it's almost like the video, like remember when Video On Demand was like like every week we'd get five or six straight to VOD movies that nobody really talked about. And sometimes they'd have really recognizable, recognizable people in them. I mean, still do technically. I mean, I'm sure. I think to a lesser extent in some cases, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, when the pandemic happened, I know they were kind of forcing that more because it makes sense because it's like they didn't have big screen competition. So it's like, hey. Why not try this VOD title? Or like, hey, here's a movie with Bruce Willis. <laughs> That's the thing. I think we're like starting to fully transition into an era where we don't need that. Like, why would you put these straights of VOD, which are typically looked at as like low budget, low quality things that normally you would just they would just pop up on iTunes or Amazon or something and people would rent them when instead you just put those things on Netflix and Paramount Plus and all these things where people will actually watch them because they don't have to pay, you know, more mm-hmm. than their subscription. Right. So it's an interesting time to be alive with the, the streaming era, but that's, yeah, that is our long winded review of Thunder Force. The movie's so interesting. We stopped talking about it without really sure. <laughs> addressing it. Um, what's your grade for, uh, Thunder Force? Uh, I'll just say Thunder Force, more like Blunder Force C. Uh, well, you, I'm Gene. That Shallot. gets a, a B. <laughs> for boo yeah <laughs> dang we're, we're two in a row we've had the exact same grade a c for me as well and this is so, it's weird too because like normally i don't i don't know if i've ever given two movies one week a c definitely c plus but that's kind of sad yeah you hate to see it hate to see it yeah hate to see it we have one last movie to talk about and that is hopefully a film that you liked as much as i did let's talk about slalom and a movie that i particularly specifically picked because I looked at the the slate of movies coming out this week, and I said, you know what? <laughs> We've got to fix this. I do not want to only win. watch Voyagers and Thunder Force <laughs> this week. Although I did also yeah. see Finding Francis, the Nathan for You thing. That oh, was a nice. Great. We, we we could talk about that if you want. That's a great <laughs> little uh, series finale movie, whatever you want to call it. From years and years ago. But yeah, no, I I was very. Uh, I was very, very excited to push this movie on you, Slalom, which I don't know what you think, and I, I hope you liked it, but who knows? Uh, so this is a film that was supposed to come out last year. It was supposed to be at Cannes, and I think they did eventually like release it in some stream, uh, not streaming. Um, I think they did do some like virtual things with it, and then it had more released this year through a few festivals. This is directed by Charlene Favier. This is her second film. Um, she's done a bunch of short films. She did a documentary from like a decade ago. This is her first feature-length film, and it is a... I, I called it in my review on the spool, 
an ice cold sports drama about abuse. And it has this young woman at the center of the film named Liz Lopez, played by Noya Bita, who is trying to become an Olympic class athlete. She's only 15 years old. She is extremely talented and uh, at skiing. And so she joins this elite ski club and over time gets into the clutches of a very overbearing coach played by Jeremy Renee. And it's a very hard hitting allegory about how people get into abusive situations and how it manifests in lots of different ways. There's psychological abuse, emotional and physical and, and all of that sort of thing. And watching this movie is really difficult because most people watching it will know exactly what's about to happen. And that's not what this movie is about. It's not about whether or not something bad is going to happen, but it's about showing an audience how these things happen, why they do, why nobody does anything to stop it. And I think it's a very powerful film in that regard. I think it's beautiful. Uh, this is uh, Jan Murat, Mon I can't say it, Jan Muratad, who shot Cuties. And I just think that his his attention to detail here, making this kind of like, sort of like drama feel like a thriller, like a really high octane thriller, shooting these immaculately shot skiing scenes that feel like at any moment you're going to like crash into the powder yourself. Uh, I think this is just a visceral, beautiful, heartbreaking film. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and I, it's weird to say that I enjoyed it, but enjoyed it in the sense that like cinema tends to do, like where it just wraps sure. you up in the emotion of everything. Even though I did not enjoy what was happening to uh, this character, I, I feel like this is, of the films that I saw this week, this was certainly the only one that I think is uh, honestly worth a damn. So happy happy to spread the word on it for people who are interested. But Will, what did you think of Slalom? Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree that it's not, not a fun film, certainly. It's not an entertaining time at the movies um, for a lot of reasons. But um, I do agree it's the only movie of the three that we're discussing this week that I think is of any quality or merit altogether, um, despite some of the nice things I said about Voyagers earlier in the episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think by and large, like just my main takeaway was just like, this is a good film. Like everything is just working like the performances are good they're layered they're complex there's a lot of rich humanity that's drawn out here like the direction as you're mentioning is very precise it, it, it has a very keenly perspective point of view uh the cinematography is quite nice quite vivid uh unflinching in many respects um did i did i have a good time watching this not in the least um <laughs> did i want to take a shower afterwards i did but unfortunately we were recording so i have to <laughs> do that later so um but i i do agree i think by and large like just talking on the merits of the film it's unquestionably a good film it's as a grueling watch that is for sure and i think charlene favier the director here uh really up and coming you know she's been in the business for a while but i think as a feature film per you know like person on the rise, I think that she's clearly looking at the work of Celine Sciamma. She's looking at Claire Denis and she's saying that she has something to say herself and she has a very unique sort of like filmmaking quality to her. And I think what what's unique to her is that she's just fearless. Like part of this movie is about, you know, this coach is trying to teach the main character how to be fearless or like try to like groom her into like removing her inhibition so she'll do what he wants but then the movie kind of of course zigzags into the story about how actually fear is healthy and fear is like the pretense to like being bold and being daring and doing what's difficult 
And I think that is how this director operates. She made a film that I think a lot of people are going to have difficult reactions to. And after I watched the film, I felt like I didn't fully understand what I had seen in terms of like, I, I there were points of this where I was like, did a man direct this? Because usually when some of the scenes, like there's like some graphic stuff here, they can feel exploitative when they cover the subject matter. And I was confused a little bit by like her approach. And I had to really process this movie in a good way because it kind of challenged, I think, some of the just some of the preconceptions we can have about the types of movies men make and the types of movies women make. And I think that that, that is the thing I probably like the most about this movie is that Favier had a clear idea, a clear love of the sport. And she knew exactly what she wanted to say, how to say it. And unlike some of the films we've talked about this week, the other ones, she really set out to make something important here and useful and, and helpful to society. <laughs> uh, you know, even though I, I think Neil Berger was trying that with Voyagers, I guess. Uh, I think she absolutely nails it here. So I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's not a secret to say that the best films tend to be challenging and uncompromising in some way or another, or at least they, they're willing to be challenging and uncompromising. And like you said, uh, be fairly fearless in terms of what they're saying and what they're communicating with their films. Uh, just, just generally speaking, I think that tends to work out better. I mean, it doesn't make it uh, a crowd pleaser, certainly, but um, I, I, I tend to think that's for the better with art, and this is no exception. I mean, I, I do think this is unfortunately a story we've seen quite a few times. Like, I don't think it's necessarily new or original in its point of view, but like you were saying, like I think it, it is vital in that, like it, it is so keenly focused on this young protagonist, making her feel like a real character and, and, and really getting us into her perspective and understanding why she feels trapped in the situation and how she can get into the situation uh, from the beginning while also recognizing the kind of like flawed uh, perspectives and her kind of own individual flaws as a person in, in a way that I think just makes it a pretty well-rounded film. I mean, I, I guess I'm pretty general in my thoughts here because I, like yeah. you were suggesting, um, I just saw the film only a few minutes ago. So I guess as you were suggesting, I'm, I'm still kind of processing it and whether or not uh, I, I have um, more critical uh, or, or something, I guess, more critical to say about the film. But at the moment, I think generally speaking, like you were saying, it's just a good film. Yeah. And I, I would definitely want to avoid giving too much away. You know, I, I think that it's very, it's a little too easy to spoil parts of this movie that deserve to sort of be seen as fresh as possible because they're all about the surprise factor. But a few things that I do want to point out are include how this movie frames the coach and the things that he does, the monstrous things that he does, and just how nuanced this movie is with depicting it. I think that there, like, kind of, I think you were alluding to this, but it's not like the entire dynamic is completely one sided or that it's trying to make, make it look like she doesn't like have any sort of desire for what is going to happen. It's, but the thing is, she's too young to understand what is yeah, about or, to happen, or right? Or process it beyond just exactly kind of like a superficial sort of way, yeah. So her reactions to the abuse and how the film frames the abuse and what this man does, how he does what he does, I think are very spot on. And they sort of bring a very chilling empathy to this character because there aren't a lot of movies that really depict this. Or even if they do, they tend to be very different. They, they tend to be visceral in a different way that it can feel a little bit Hollywood, I guess. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think... 
like a film that I can think to compare this to is something like, and it's a movie I really like, maybe as much as this one, if not more, is um, Diary of a Teenage Girl, the yeah. one that um, came Absolutely. out, I think, in 2015. And that's a film that, technically a similar kind of concept, but that film has sort of a kind of more stylistic, kind of a, almost like warmer approach, for lack of a better word. Uh, in terms of like getting us into the uh, flawed perspective of our main character, whereas this movie, what I find really fascinating about it is that it's able to be very cold and clinical and have a very like clear perspective of what's happening and and what's wrong about it, but at the same time also get us into the understanding and perspective of the main character and recognizing how she can feel and like kind of you know getting like her perspective in a way that's pretty clear but not uh, overlooking just like what's going on and and how bad it is if that makes sense like i think that's a very tricky balance that the filmmaker pulls off really well i, I was not expecting us to bring up two marielle heller films today but i'm glad we did <laughs> but you know maybe we'll talk about beautiful day in the neighborhood at some point i don't know hopefully not for you know this movie because that'd be that'd be bad <laughs> okay yeah i think what works about this movie and compared to that one at least because because I, I do really like diary of a teenage girl i think that movie though to what you're saying it plays up the romance a bit and there's a place for that kind of story because that is the experience that, that character is going through. But this is a very different kind of thing. And what's what's the focus here is, is this young woman who is obviously like going through something very challenging that has nothing to do with what this coach wants out of her. It, she wants to be a great skier because she wants acceptance from her mother. Uh, she doesn't have, she has an estranged father. And she sort of sees that like a connection to somebody else, uh, something that she processes is not as intimate, you know, but as more of this thing of like just feeling close to somebody, feeling like somebody looks out for her and wants what's best for her. And this movie is about how she is exploited for that. And it, it points out how certain people look at that situation and purposely get something out of it that's just for them. And it, it's sick and it's saddening. And I'm really glad this movie exists as a, a gateway for a lot of people to better understand why these things happen, like I was saying before. So yeah, ultimately, this is just a, a riveting film that's hard to watch, but uh, so, so crucial to, I think, uh, movies of this subject matter. Uh, it's definitely one of the really good ones. So I'm a big fan. I think I'm going to give this movie a strong, strong B+. The, thing, the only things that I kind of knock it for are just in the ways that it plays up the isolation of the character, which makes total sense. But I do think that it, it, it kind of fails to bring about the other characters in, in any meaningful way. I didn't fully connect with anybody else in the film, aside from maybe the girlfriend of the coach. But I think that was a little, that was kind of too little too late. I think that this movie was missing a few pieces in terms of the relationship with the mother. And I think some of the stuff that happens with the best friends and the other skiing students was kind of, it, it, it did sit well with me. It, it didn't really match what else was going on in the movie. And I, I get what it was going for, but I don't think all that stuff fully worked. So, and, and also I have to say that I just think this film definitely is going to be difficult to watch for a lot of people who do not want to experience like the trauma that happens in this movie. But as a movie, it's, it's, it's very, I think it's excellent. So uh, very strong B plus uh, easy recommend for me. Yeah, I mean, you uh, said a lot of things I was just about to say um, in terms of whatever criticisms I would have about the film. So I'll say, I'll give it a low B plus, mainly just because like at the end of the day, even though I do think it's a very well-made film, definitely a strong debut, I really just don't know who exactly I'd recommend it to. 
like if that makes sense like I, I think it's like i think it's a good film like i think if you're interested in it and you, you can handle the subject matter you're gonna get a worthwhile film but like i i don't like i don't know who in my life i would say like you gotta watch this like you gotta sit down and see this movie because like it's gonna be obviously like you're saying very triggering for some audiences and with others i i, I don't know if they're gonna fully uh appreciate what it's doing here but if you can handle it and and certainly i i think a lot of people can i i think it's a worthwhile film and and certainly yeah. a well-made one and uh yeah i'm definitely curious to see where the filmmaker goes from here yeah i was talking to a good friend about this movie who saw it and she was very much like definitely she had a lot of difficulty with it it just in the sense that she just didn't understand she wasn't sure that it was really a movie that she needed to see and we were kind of talking about that same sort of thing like who is this movie for and I'm I'm kind of leaning toward myself thinking that it's, it would be really helpful for men to watch this to sort of see like what effect like what effect that they can have on other people even if it's it's not, even if it's not a direct one to one with the situation and you know because not all men do stuff like this of course but you know I mean a lot do and I, I one thing I do think this I wish this movie would get into a little bit more is like the people who enable men like this because I think that's a more universal message by by and large of like a lot of men are willing to sort of be willfully ignorant to these sorts of things. This movie kind of touches on that in the sense that like nobody seems to really hold this guy accountable for what he's doing. Nobody yeah. seems to really be keeping an eye on what's or happening. Or even notice it. Yeah. Right? It's very odd. And, and the movie kind of just sort of like makes it passes it off in a certain way that maybe it's more culturally a thing in France or, you know, maybe there's like a, a disconnect there between like America and, and France. Not, I'm not saying anything negative about France in any way. I'm just saying that like, I may not totally understand it because yeah. of the cultural differences. That's all. Sure. And even worse, like there's like the implication that like uh, a, one character seems to know that something's happening, but she's not really doing much to prevent right. it from happening. And you know, that that's also pretty disturbing in a completely different way. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think I think that's certainly one of the, the key ways this movie can be vital and beneficial. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> I don't have a follow up to that. The only surprise I have this week, Will Asher, and the only thing that surprised me in the universe was the fact that we talked about three movies and we gave the same letter grade for all three. Has that ever happened? Um, I think it's happened a few other times, I think. You think so? Um, for yeah, three films. I, I know for yeah, two in that I, episode, but I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure it's happened a couple of times, but I think it tends to happen during weeks like this where it's like one film that's good and then like everything else is kind of like <laughs> forgettably mediocre. Like I, I, sure. I don't think it happens for like weeks where it's like the films are wildly dis, uh, disparate in terms of like quality and tone and style. Fair um, but but um, yeah, I, I think it makes sense for the three films we're talking about this week. I'm just curious, like how many people are going to be listening to this? Maybe they've never listened to Cinemaholics and they're just like, these guys just give the same review for every, like they don't disagree on anything. Where's the sure. fun? Where's the spice? Where's um, the, where's the, uh, the argumentation, the debate? Uh, I, well, what's, what's a recent episode where we had a pretty heated debate. I'm trying to think. It's been a little bit since we've gotten like super heated. It's true. I mean, Shiva um, the Babies, we were on the same page. Yeah. Cherry, we were on the same page. I don't know. I'd have to look at the archives, but I think things are getting a little too chummy. Yeah, even Justice League, we we're pretty closely aligned. That's that's strange to think. Who's who is changing? Who are you becoming? Are you aligning more with my tastes, or is it the other way around, or both? It's weird. Because hmm. it, it wasn't always like this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, well, 
What's coming out next week? What 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 could what could break the chain? Monday, I think it would break your heart. Um, no, I mean I don't I don't think I'm that closely aligned with it. I'm genuinely just very curious what you're gonna think of Monday, even okay. if you hate the movie, dislike the movie, whatever. Like I'm just curious, like because the response to that film has been all over the map, and I'm certainly way more positive than other people. But I would not be surprised if you dislike it, but. Okay. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's the one that breaks the uh, the trend. I don't know. That's when that's when we're gonna get some of this heat. Summertime. Yeah, it's gonna begin. There we go. <laughs> Summer season. That's when it gets cooking. Can't wait. Well, for now, if you uh, if you can't wait either, just be sure be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice. Hit us up on our social channels. You can find that in the show notes, of course, with everything we talked about this past week. You can also follow the two of us on Twitter for all things John and Will out in the universe. I, I swear we tend to disagree online at least. I mean, maybe maybe it's because we're picking things that we agree on because I'm sure if we talked about things like WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I don't know, maybe maybe that's where the, the contention, Invincible, that's where we yeah. would start to put up the Dukes. Who knows? I guess so. So you're saying we have to be a TV podcast now to get our, our, our uh, claws out. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I guess... I guess uh, our, our biggest differences tend to lie in like superhero content, which is weird with Thunder Force, I guess. But I guess that's because, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, who was expecting that movie to <laughs> to make a, a splash? But all right. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We'll see you all next week from the Internet California. I'm John DeGurney. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. See you next time. <laughs>